everyone. This is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is November 12th, Tuesday, 2019. Um, sitting here in Silicon Valley in the comfort of my home uh, with actually a special um, guest uh, calling in through Skype. Uh, that is Chet Babla, who is the VP of the automotive group at uh, Arm, uh, which is one of the most influential uh, technology companies. In they play in a, a number of uh, spaces. But today we're going to kind of dive deep into the work that Arm is doing in, in, in an area that I think a lot of folks are very interested in: um, uh, the uh, the self-driving uh, automotive category. So, with that, let me introduce Chet. Chet, say hello to the audience. Hey, Mark, and hello, audience, and thanks so much for the opportunity to have this chat. Great. Well, I can tell you that you're not from New York with your accent, chat. So, uh, <laughs> very, very astute. Yes, I'm from <laughs> from the UK. Great. So let's let's talk about you know Arm's role in the automotive uh, section, chat, because you know it's funny if you talk to the average consumer, if there is an average consumer out there, and you ask them, you know, and that we're going to get into this during the course of the podcast. Um, about what they think about the automotive uh, uh, category when it comes to autonomous driving. Uh, you know, Arm, who has been involved in the automotive category for a long time, it's not like this happened a few months ago, uh, they, they've had, you know, years of involvement uh, in the, um, the automotive space, which with, with continues inv continued investments and, and initiatives that you guys are working on. But let's talk about, first and foremost, you know, how um, Arm approaches the automotive category when it comes to autonomous driving. Okay, so uh, maybe just to give a bit of background, as you mentioned, Arm's been in the automotive industry for a for a long time, and it's actually since 1996 our partners have been um, shipping silicon with our technology into various automotive applications. So you, today, if you look at a car, literally from uh, bumper to bumper or fender to fender, you'll find mm -hmm. Arm technology in the key domains of whether it's powertrain, whether it's in-vehicle infotainment, whether it's the ADAS systems, the connectivity. Um, or the body uh, applications. So we, we really do have a really great um, footing across the car, uh, and that's been built, as you said, over a long time. Um, now to your point around autonomous, so you know, over the last four or five years, we've seen this huge industry interest in this growing field of autonomy of self-driving cars. And if we kind of step back and look at what are the key challenges, the key technical challenges that need to be solved. You, know, you can break those down into challenges around um, the right type of compute that you need for these workloads around autonomous. So, right. you know, are you going to run? Sorry, go ahead. Well, you know, I, I, what I was about to say is before we get into the nuts and bolts, which I know we're going to get into in a few moments here, you know, let's talk about some of the, you know, the global and societal um, implications of autonomous driving is, I mean, obviously, you know, consumers would like convenience. They'd love to be able the ability to get into an automobile. You know, use you know use um, a digital voice assistant. Here's my address, and here's the one I, I want to go to. But that's a very simplistic, albeit a very very productive um, example. But I, I want to talk about a bit for a few moments about why Arm is so involved with it because it does have significant. You know, the, the whole autonomous driving category has very significant um, implications from a global standpoint and certainly from a societal standpoint. So let's talk a little bit about that first. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, great. And and that's something we have been thinking about quite long and hard as well. So if you if you take a step back and look at some of the challenges that society is facing today, whether it's around sustainability, whether it's around digitalization and big data, whether it's around social inclusion or the challenges around urbanization, you know, these are big problems society is dealing with. Um, and of course, there are others, but these particular ones are of interest to us because we think the automotive industry has a role and a response to some of these global challenges. And, and you know, we're seeing this in the form of the development of ADAS and autonomous technology, the development of, you know, connected vehicles, big changes around drivetrains and vehicles and the move to electrification. And of course, this burgeoning industry around shared services and mobility as a service. So we're looking at, you know, the automotive industry and arms role in that through this lens of these bigger global and societal uh, challenges that we're facing. And, you know, Chad, one of the big things that comes to mind when you talk about some of the implications is the enormous, you know, implications around saving fuel. You know, can you imagine what will happen um, when uh, autonomous driving becomes fairly ubiquitous in terms of the cost of fuel that will come down dramatically because people are, you know, consuming less um uh, less fuel because the cars are much more efficient from getting from destination A to B. Um, the cost of transportation will come down. I mean, I'm particularly going to be interested to see how that kind of pans out, you know, from just from a, just a day-to-day uh, life standpoint. You know, I just can't imagine yeah. the impact it will have on making people's commute a much more tolerable, especially in, in, in places like San Francisco where I am, uh, where it's it's you know it's a nightmare, frankly, going from point A to point B in the morning, and by by definition. Uh, when you get to a steady state of ubiquity uh, in, in an um, uh, autonomous driving uh, standpoint, you get to it where everyone is using the capability, you know, morning commute should become a lot more efficient. So there's obviously a lot of good things to say, um, talk about there. But let's flip back to um, about some of the, the mechanics in terms of what ARM is doing, you know, uh, and, you know, your outlook in the space. You know, you know, you 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 know, rightly so. Talk about the fact that ARM has been involved with this activity since the mid '90s, which is again, I don't think many people appreciate that. But let's talk a little bit about you know some of the things that, um, especially when it comes from an assisted driving, assisted system standpoint, the ADAS systems are already in place that are you know making uh, saving people's lives or making roads safer. I just got a brand new Audi A5. And I feel like it's driving. I feel like I'm driving a computer. There's so much smart saving technology already built into the car. But let's talk a little bit about that, um, and then we'll get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of what you guys are doing when it comes to autonomous driving. Okay, great. And just quickly on the point around fuel efficiency that you're talking about, there's a bigger. Um, uh, consideration here around environmental impact. So as you rightly say, as you move to electrifica- electrification, you're starting to impact majorly the kind of CO2 emissions compared to mm-hmm. conventional diesel and petrol petrol engines. Um, as you move to this world of autonomy, um, utilization of the vehicle will start to go up. I don't know about you, but I only use my car maybe two hours a day. So it's a kind of 8% utilization. That means it's sat around on the um, driveway or at the work car park for the rest of the day. So I mean, the point you raised around the uh, fuel efficiency is a great one, actually. And actually, if you take a step back, there's bigger implications here. Um, moving to autonomous vehicles, these will be electric cars. That's the only way this is going to be uh, viable. 
electrification of powertrains is happening today and it's having a you know really positive impact on CO2 emissions a typical electric vehicle is probably a quarter of the CO2 emissions of a petrol or diesel engine even if you take into account the manufacture of the batteries which people often point out it's still only 50% of the emissions of of traditional engines so really big positive impact there the other thing to bear in mind as we start to move to increasing levels of autonomy, robo-taxis, fully autonomous vehicles, utilization of the vehicle will start to go up. So today, you know, I use my car maybe a couple of hours a day. That means it's only being used 8% of the time and it's sat around unused um, for the rest, of the rest of the day. The expectation with um, autonomous vehicles is that they will have utilization rates maybe 80, 90%. So there'll be fewer cars on the road, um, leading to a much better impact on CO2 emissions. So I think this whole area around the environment, efficiency, um, sustainability is a really important point around electric vehicles. Right. Well, and, and, that, you know, and that's the thing that just occurred to me is by definition, it should make the, 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 uh, the rollout of electric cars and the adoption of, of electricity-based cars much more appealing um, by extension. It has to extend battery life. So I, uh, that's got to be an, another, you know, uh, very positive um, implication of, of, of that capability when it starts to get rolled out. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think, you know, range anxiety is an issue um, in electric vehicles, <laughs> but I think that, the that industry never is that, slowly. That never happens in California. Rage anxiety never happens in California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so, uh, I was thinking of buying an electric vehicle myself a couple of months ago, and you know the charging infrastructure in the UK isn't still quite to the level that I'd feel comfortable doing that. Obviously, I travel to California a lot, and I see that infrastructure deployment is much more advanced. And I think you know over the next three, four, five years, we'll start to see that happening more and more across across the world. So I think that, you know, people will be more comfortable moving to electric powertrains. Right. Well, so let's, you know, we, I think we, you know, people are so excited about um, uh, the prospect of, of autonomous driving. And I think, by the way, I think the, the general population, which which has been somewhat leery, and I'm only speaking from a U.S. perspective, but I, I suspect it's, it's, um, it's true of the global audience as well, that I think most, you know, American consumers have been a bit, you know, skittish or a bit skeptical. But I think that's starting to change, you know, and at least in my anecdotal conversations with people, they seem to, you know, hey, you know, that the technology is coming along. And I think there's there is kind of a sense of inevitability, frankly, that, hey, this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I guess the question, though, is let's talk about realistic timelines. Because it's not going to happen overnight. It's probably not going to happen over the next um, uh, couple of years. It's going to certainly happen in certain segments of the driving uh, market, you know, frankly, you know, uh, before it gets to a mass market capability. So let's get your view and ARM's view in terms of uh, rollout timelines and what, what you think is realistic or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe if I come to the timeline in a moment, I think if we step back, there's a huge education exercise we have to do with the general public around the benefits of of autonomous vehicles because it, one there's a trust element of it you know are these vehicles going to be safe are they going to get com commandeered by you know cyber criminals and and you know turn these vehicles into missiles on the road so i think right. that's something the industry needs to address and and give people the confidence around that but there's also the positive benefits that people need to you know understand we've spoken about fuel efficiency sustainability 
sustainability. But also, if you think about as we start to take, you know, vehicles off the road, um, it's going to have really interesting implications to our urban environment. Today, you know, the United Nations is talking about um, 900 million more people moving into our cities over the next 10 years. How are we going to deal with that? What will our cities look like? And, you know, autonomous driving has a role to play. It's going to help redefine what our cities look like. Think about how much space in our city is given over to car parking, both horizontally and the vertical direction. Now, if you don't need that car parking space, you can have green spaces, you can have leisure activities, you can, um, you know, have different kinds of uses for for your urban uh, urban area. So that's a benefit that people don't really appreciate. Um, the other area is that's interesting is around social inclusion. So this is something that people don't really think about for autonomous vehicles. But you know, my own personal kind of story around this is, you know, my father wasn't wasn't mobile; he was wheelchair bound. My mother never learnt to drive, and they were totally dependent on the local taxi service, which, you know, mm-hmm. 30% of the time never turned up. The community <laughs> transportation was really bad and rigid in terms of timing. So, you know, my father, very sociable person, loved meeting friends, going out into the community, and it was a real challenge for them. This is an area that, you know, autonomous vehicles can really help engage those who are less able, less fortunate, back, back into society. Um, and then there's the important area around saving lives. You know, the World Health Organization has estimated, you know, one, 1 million, 1.3 million people die every year on the roads in road traffic accidents. That's a shocking figure. And what's yes. really sad is over 90% of these cases, they, they were avoidable accidents. It's human error. So these are the areas that autonomous can really help and we need to do a better job as an industry of educating the public around the benefits of autonomous and even driver assistance as well. That has a role to play here. Right. No, I, I think what you're saying is absolutely accurate. And I think um, consumer education will be uh, will be a big, um, a big issue. So as I was saying, Chet, you know, one of the interesting things that you just mentioned before was the issue around security. Uh, because, again, there's kind of like a um, there, there is, you know, frankly, a lot of uh, concerns that some folks have that, hey, your car could be hacked, you know, and this is not like an episode of 24 or an episode of a James Bond movie. But let's face it, once you start putting, you know, computer technology in much more density on any type of product that has connectivity to the cloud, you know, bad people can do bad things. But, I, you know, what's interesting, and I was at the ARM um, uh, event uh, a few weeks ago is that uh, when there was when we went through the, uh, the the keynote on what ARM is doing in that area, security is a big deal. I mean, the security is very fundamental to the silicon that you folks are producing. So that obviously will play a very significant role, frankly, as the capability gets rolled out to put people at ease. That it's you know near, it's 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 virtually impossible. Uh, to uh, hack a car, you know, use, use, utilizing the right type of security technology. But obviously that's a, that's a big issue. Um, one thing yeah. I do want to get into a bit here, though, is, you know, the, the, the timeline piece. Because, again, it's not going to yeah. happen, you know, tomorrow. And, by the way, it's going to happen in phases. And, you know, for example, you know, I'm, I'll talk to what Tesla's doing right now. They have c- kind of, sort of, I, w- I almost want to call it, um, you know, autonomous driving light where the driver, um, you know, has to be behind the wheel and it's supposed to be active with his hands on the wheel. And there's a reason, there's a technical reason for that. 
to make sure that the, the, uh, the, the driver can intervene in the event that there's some type of catastrophic problem. And, of course, there's been some very high-profile snafus with, uh, with Tesla implementations. But let's talk a bit about just the phases and the types of autonomous driving and how do you guys see it roll out from a, um, from a uh, timeline standpoint. Yeah, yeah, great questions. It's the $64,000 question. When will fully self-driving vehicles be on the road? And honestly, if I knew the answer to that, I'd probably be very rich and sitting on a beach somewhere. I think what we can look at is see, you know, how we see ADAS driver assistance developing today. And, you know, as long ago as even the year 2000, we started to see things like automatic emergency braking or adaptive cruise control coming into our vehicles as a you know driver assistance tool. More recently, over the last five, six years, we've started to see steering control, lane control, self-parking capability. This is kind of the level two type of feature. And then People are talking about a level two plus, and this is almost like your traffic jam chauffeur automatically changing lane lanes, and that's kind of where we've got to today. Um, level three is that kind of gray area today where the car can be in charge, but it might suddenly ask you to take over. And I think the challenge there is less the technology, and more the area around you know regulation, the law, if a crash happens and you were, you know, you're reading your book and the car decided to hand over to you, who's responsible, the driver or the OEM? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's an area, interesting area. I think the technology's got us to that point of this level three. I'm not sure if level three will actually get deployed because of these issues around, you know, liability and regulation. I think what we'll find is level two plus quote unquote, is where we'll continue to see a lot of deployment and it becoming more and more mass market over the next five to 10 years. And then we'll see this jump, um, you know, 2025, 2026 to level four, which is this kind of, you know, driverless taxis, but in a limited um, contained uh, scenario. So full Mm -hmm. autonomy, not sure. This is where the car can drive itself under any condition, any road scenario, any weather, um, who knows, 2035, 2040, 2045, it's really hard to tell. And there's, you know, all issues around regulation that I mentioned, even the sensor technology today. There's so much that we need to see in terms of development around the sensor technology. Um, you know, today, if you look at a, a typical uh, sensor being deployed in the vehicle, you know, the, the technology today, there's an error kind of every six minutes in terms of a sensor incorrectly reporting something. The next generation of sensors that are being deployed, and by sensors I'm talking about cameras, radars, lidars, ultrasonics, they'll get to about one error every 1,000 hours. But to go beyond a level three, those sensors need to have an accuracy of an error no more than every 11,500 hours. So there's still a lot of development that needs to happen around the sensor technology before we reliably can move into this level four, level five area. Well, and not only that, uh, Chet, uh, you know, the other big, and, we, and I'm sure you, you're going you're gonna to talk about this a bit, is that, you know, what's really required, you know, in addition to everything else you just talked about, is 5G. I mean, because you really need um, really good 5G coverage because 5G has that benefit of very, very little, very low latency. 
and you need to have you know real-time information so and whatever system is being implemented if it notices some type of oddball condition it has to react you know immediately in 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 less than a second you know where two or three seconds which sounds very fast to a lot of people it's not enough time for the for the car to make a course correction so and as we know 5g is still everybody's talking about 5g but you know 5g is still about two three years from being fully deployed so that's still very much a um, a future state type of thing yeah i mean there's a lot of um interesting debate around 5g and how critical it will be to the future of autonomous vehicles i think there's a few elements here right i think we shouldn't have dependency on any one single type of sensor or connectivity because you can't always guarantee that they will work or there'll be connectivity available um, we're seeing you know the, the 5g vehicle to infrastructure in china is being deployed very fast so there's over 18 cities in five in china now where v2x is being deployed um, to help this uh, you know move towards higher levels of autonomy um, the the latency question is interesting actually because it is 5G is seen portrayed as this low latency use case, which it is. Mm -hmm. um, there's interesting research being done around whether the levels of latency can actually already be achieved by 4G LTE. So that's mm -hmm. a debate that's going to be ongoing. Um, mm. But I think, you know, 5G is definitely a future technology that should be part of your total sensor and connectivity suite for autonomous vehicles. Well, yeah, and so it's interesting how you know you, uh, ARM seems to be taking a very pragmatic approach to this because you know I think what you said is accurate. You know, um, you know there are going to be situations where you may not have a good 5G signal, you may not have a good cellular signal. You know, so you right. it, it is important that the technology has to be structured in a in a way that if the car were to not have any con connectivity for a few moments or for 30 minutes or whatever the s story is. The system can't shut down simply because it doesn't have a good Wi-Fi, a good cellular uh, connection. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, in so. the automotive world, that's, you know, people talk about fail safe and fail operate. And that's what we need to make sure, you know, if the 5G connection is not there, does the car, you know, gracefully move to the side and park up? Or does it, it you know, if does it hand over to the driver? So these, these scenarios need to be very carefully worked out for all of these different types of sensor and connectivity inputs. Right. So let, let's go back to the, the, again, we'll call it the $128,000 question, is that, you know, what is ARM doing in terms of trying to educate the, the, the public, educate consumers, you know, help them build trust? Um, the importance of safety, because like you said, you know, the, the way this is going to be rolled out, that there might be a level two plus kind of approach that happens here where maybe you don't get to nirvana, you know, from that perfect state where you get into a car and it just, you know, you could, do, you could be doing whatever in the car for the next 45 minutes while it takes you to point A to point B. But let's talk a little bit about what, you know, ARM is specifically doing in that area, because to me, education is a big, big deal. I mean, you guys are doing a marvelous job. From a technology deployment standpoint, you've got, uh, and we're going to talk about some of the initiatives that you guys have got in place to uh, to uh, go after that. But you know, let's talk about specifically, though, that you know the the, the arm work that, that you folks are doing in terms of trying to build trust, in terms of trying to educate consumers on what the um, what the implications of autonomous driving is over time. 
Yeah, there's two elements of this. There's educating and working with the industry and then messaging to the consumers. So I think on the industry part of it, you know, this problem is so big. You know, we've previously spoken about how, you know, the Boeing 787 Dreamliner has 14 million lines of software code. The projection for a level five fully autonomous vehicle is hundreds, if not a billion lines of code. No one company is going to solve this problem on their own. So a big part Mm -hmm. of this is working with the industry, collaborating, ensuring we have those, uh, you know, important dialogues around how we're going to solve this problem. What are the type of partnerships that are needed? What are the key technical barriers that need to be broken down to make this a reality? And, you know, part of that is you may have seen recently an autonomous vehicle compute consortium was announced. This is big you know, silicon vendors, vehicle OEMs, vehicle tier one manufacturers coming together and saying, okay, what does the implementation agnostic building blocks need to look like for the hardware? Um, What are the software APIs needed so we can move to these, you know, server in a trunk type of prototypes for autonomous to commercially deploying vehicles? And, you know, consumers need to see this stuff is going to be not only safe, not only you know functional, but it also needs to be affordable. It needs to bring real benefits to them. And I think, so that's an important part of it. It's no point going to consumers and saying, here's an autonomous vehicle, it's going to cost you know $200,000. That's not going to really get us to where we need to go. So right. industry, industry working together, collaboration, really important part. And then the messaging around consumers is something, you know, Arm doesn't necessarily strive to be a consumer-recognized brand. We like to work with our partners and help them in their messaging and make sure they're armed with the key points they need to, to make so that consumers feel comfortable and confident. They trust the technology. They trust the security. They trust that this stuff is going to be well-maintained and functional. It's going to be safe. You know, hackers aren't going to take control of the car and turn it into a missile. So we provide <laughs> that reassurance and messaging to our partners who, who are front and center with the consumer and make sure they've got the tools and information from ARM to make that kind of messaging. Well, I'll, I'll, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take a bit of time, uh, but I think that, again, I, I really do. I'll stand by my observation that I made before that I do think consumers, and this is just a general statement, are starting to come around to the inevitability of, of, of self-driving technology. Um, I, I think that you know one of the issues, and I'd love to get your point of view on this, is that if you recall, if you flash back about 20, 25 years when you know GPS systems started to show up in cars, they were considered a premium option. You know, the at that time, you know, I'm late 90s, mid 90s when they started to appear. You know, if you wanted to get a GPS system in your car, you know, built into the dashboard, and a lot of them were very custom-based systems. This was years, of course, before smartphones came on the scene. Uh, you know, th- those options might be a thousand, two thousand dollars. You know, and uh, uh, you know, yeah. ultimately, that technology became so uh, pervasive and so appealing to consumers that now it's it's hard to buy a car, frankly, without some type of built-in GPS. You've got Apple and Google with their their, their, their dashboard implementations, which allow easy integration with, the, with their smartphones. But does, but does ARM have a point of view on, you know, the, the cost adder? You know, and, and again, I know you guys operate at the silicon level and at the fundamental ingredient level. But have you looked at the problem in terms of, okay, once this technology gets to a readiness state that 
consumers are willing to accept it. Um, does it meet, does the technology, the technology can't be a $10,000 adder. I mean, it has to be some, obviously something less than that, but do you guys have a point of view on that and what the cost adder for yeah, the capability yeah. is? Yeah, yeah. I think your GPS example is a great one, and we've all seen over the last 10, 15 years features that are in premium vehicles very rapidly come down into mainstream. And I think we'll see, and that's in a part of the the um, benefit of electronics and economy of scale, uh, electronics and semiconductor integration doing what it does so well. Um, mm -hmm. I think if you look at fully autonomous vehicles and the costs of those, I think initially it really will be the preserve of robo-taxis, ride-share, mobility as a service. And, and as that becomes more prevalent, the costs will go down. I mean, there's interesting philosophical questions around, you know, if we get to the state where you can truly have a fully autonomous vehicle, do people still need to own a car? I, I guess in the US, there might be a different answer to that to other parts of the world. So, you know, it'll be interesting if we get to that point where this technology is so cheap, it's just how you buy a car. I'm not right. sure how and when that might happen. But what we can point to is if you look at ADAS, you know, I mentioned features like automatic emergency braking, adaptive cruise control, lane keeping assist. These are happening today and they're in, you know, perhaps premium and high mid-end vehicles, but they are starting to waterfall down into more mainstream cars. The public are being habituated to increasing levels of automation in the vehicle. So I think that over time, over the next five, 10 years, people will become, will become more and more comfortable with these features. And these features are all elements that you need to enable autonomy anyway. So I do see this, you know, driver assistance starts to bootstrap autonomy and it will start to have a positive impact on the costs. You know, today, you know, the cost of autonomy in a vehicle may be $100,000. That's clearly not sustainable for, for mass market. But we can see that as these systems become integrated, as the deployment volumes increase, this will start to come down to ten, twenty thousand $20,000 adder and coming down over the next 20 years. Yeah, well, you know, you know, you you made some great points. I mean, there's technology that's showing up today in entry level and mainstream cars today. I mean, that that absolutely you would not have believed would have been possible. Um, Anti-braking systems, um, you know, crash detection systems, which have a level of intelligence built into them. They're not completely autonomous, but they do activate when a catastrophic situation is about to happen. And you know, the one thing that's interesting about the car manufacturers is that once a feature becomes you know, they, they, you know, they've been added so long. Once they know a particular feature is appealing to their uh, the, to their audience, they know how to take cost out. So um, the, those type of capabilities, when you know, when they become really, really appealing, you know, the, they start showing up on entry level models of cars, which many of those capabilities that you talked about are happening. Uh, let's talk a little bit about in the few minutes that we have left here. Let's talk about the AVCC because that is a big deal. You know, I mean, I historically. You know, I tend to be a bit skeptical of consortiums because sometimes consortiums have a, a lot of self-serving, you know, type of um, objectives. But in the case of AVCC, it's pretty important because I think the point you made is is very is is absolutely spot on, and that is is that the the collaboration between multiple companies 
in this area, autonomous driving is, is going to be critical. You're not going to see just one company own the entire technology stack for autonomous driving and say, okay, Ford, hey, um, hello, GM, you know, buy our solution, and you've got everything you need. I mean, it's not going to be that simple. There's a lot of different ingredients that comprise that stack. So let's talk about how ARM is kind of viewing AVCC. Yeah, I, I think you're right. There is um, sometimes fatigue around consortia and people think, okay, is it just another talking shop? I think what was interesting in the case of the AVCC and, and you know, just to remind folk, the, the, the members of it as of today are Bosch, Continental, Denso, GM, NVIDIA, NXP, Renesas, Toyota, and Arm. That's quite an interesting collection of mm -hmm. stakeholders across the industry here, right? You've got Silicon Tier 1 OEM represented. And, you know, just hearing that collection of, you know, leading industry players coming together and saying there's a problem and we can, you know, try and address this in a collaborative way is quite a, an impressive feat. And by the way, that membership is totally open to others to join and it's growing, you know, you know, as we speak. So I, I think we're on the right route here for a partnership-based um, approach to solving this huge challenge around making commercially deployable autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, it's so incredibly vital that these parties work together collaboratively. And again, you know, the, the, the folks that you just listed are not small players <laughs> in this space. They're all yeah, well right. Known. And the key thing, the key thing is it's implementation agnostic, right? We're recognizing that we need to give the industry the freedom to uh, innovate on the hardware, um, but let's find a common platform, common uh, building block approach. Let's agree what are the problems and defining an approach for, uh, to allow people to solve it. I think that's, that's what's different for this consortia. Well, I think it's going to, it's going to be an uh, interesting next two or three years as we see this technology start to emerge and become much more um, ubiquitous. And again, I, I suspect it will happen in the, uh, the transportation uh, area, the shipping area, I think it'll, it'll show up early, and I think it's going to be an extraordinary uh, place to be, and I'm sure, Chet, we'll be hearing from you more <laughs> in the future. Yeah, this is such an exciting space. You know, I've I've been in the technology industry 27 years, which is a polite way of saying I'm really old, and I've worked <laughs> in the wireless industry, cellular, you know, um, telecommunications, consumer electronics, and Honestly, the renaissance that automotive going, is going through at the moment is so exciting. Finally, automotive is not being seen as the kind of dull end of the technology industry. And there's, you know, really big challenges and a really positive impact the automotive industry can have on, on, this, on society. So, you know, it's great to be part of that and amazing to see what ARM is trying to do to help enable some of these, um, you know, major um, automotive trends. Well, it's very exciting stuff. I will second that, uh, that feeling. But uh, thank you again, Chet, for calling in and taking time to uh, spend with uh, me on today's podcast. To the more insights and strategy audience, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please follow us and our social media suspect partners. That's Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great weekend. <laughs>